Let's go before the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless the reading of it and preaching of his word. Lord, we thank you for this Bible that we hold in our hands. We thank you for the many generations that have passed on these truths to us. Some people, it cost them their very lives to see the Word of God brought to us in our own language. And we thank you for the privilege of reading it and hearing it preached to us in words that we can hear and understand. We ask, Lord, that you would use the reading and the preaching of your Word this morning to bless the people who are gathered here this morning. That we might see and hear Jesus speaking to us so that we might be changed. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Please be seated. We know from Isaiah, unto us a son is given. Well, those words can't be any more true than how Abraham and Sarah felt when this reality came to pass in their lives. One of the things I want us to note about this, though, is that we were back in 17 last week and we leapt over a few passages here to get to this point as we think about the incarnation. And I want you just to think about this. In the grand scheme of things, it's seven verses. All of the anticipation, everything from chapter 12 on has been waiting for chapter 21 verses 1 through 7 to happen. And do you see how it just kinda, it's just kind of stuck in there? It's just sort of seven verses. And the Lord had happened what he told them would happen and what he promised them had happened. And Abraham was named the boy Isaac and he did what he was told to do and circumcised him. And Sarah kind of fell about the place laughing that an old woman could have a baby and nurse that child at her breast. Who would have thunk it? And we're moving right along. I mean, it's really just kind of, this is the grand finale and it's just sort of stuck in there. After we've had Abimelech and all this cha whole chapter dedicated to Abraham once again being willing to sell his wife out, even though now he knows, he knows that it's through her that Isaac has to come. Haven't we been down that path before with Pharaoh? And here's Abraham once again. Well, they're liable to kill me. Tell them you're my sister. We'll see what happens this time. Do you see the proneness of human beings to, to somehow say, if it didn't work the last time, well, let's try it again. Maybe it'll work this time. We get in that rut. We can't seem to get out. And I want you to understand that, you know, we've seen Abraham watch God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. We've seen him know that Lot had to flee from this area. We've seen Abraham have this incredible dialogue with God. And God's willingness to let Abraham seek to rescue 
Even if there be ten righteous. I mean, this is Abraham who's believed God and had it credited to him as righteousness, has circumcised, and yet we get to this last chapter before here and this whole situation with Abimelech, and we're back to this, what we saw at the very beginning of Abraham being called by God. This not trusting. And what I want you to see is that we're really seeing very clearly in the life of Abraham our lives. This is a man who is striving to live before God in an honorable way. And sometimes we look at him and think, you are awesome. And other times we look at him and think, you are a moron. And if we really were able to step back and watch our lives being played out, we would have to say the same thing. There are times where we just go, that was phenomenal. That was incredible. You, you actually stood in the face of opposition and you stood on your principles and you did what the Lord would call you to do or you, you stepped out and said something to a, a family member who's basically just cut down every other Christian in the family, but you presented the gospel to them and whatever, for whatever reason God delighted for them to be converted right there. Yes! And then you're cheating on your income taxes or you don't take money back when you got a little extra at the, at the cashier or you, know, you name the issue. You badmouth people. You don't pray for the president and other people because you don't like him, even though God tells you to pray for him anyway. We disappoint ourselves and other people all the time. We have these great seasons where we just go, yes. We have these other times where it's, ugh. And what I want us to see is, is that that's what makes this passage seem so amazing. It's so small, so short. Just, yeah, it all happened. But this is often how God is at work. It's the anticipation gets all the press. And the fulfillment seems to be kind of just, and it happened, moving right along. And the thing that I think we're supposed to learn from this in some ways is that we're supposed to start to get in this mentality that when God says something, when God promises something, when God commands something, when God tells us something, we're actually supposed to believe Him. So that when it actually happens, it's kind of, and it did. It ought to kind of be like that in our lives. It's never that way in our lives, though, is it? Because we really don't believe God when He says these things to us. I am going to do these things in your life. I am in the business of transforming you. I am taking care of you. Really? Well, you know, Lord, they're cutting back hours at our job. I promise to take care of you. Well, Lord, people are losing their homes all around us. I promise to watch over you. Well, Lord, I'm feeling very alone right now. I've told you I will be with you. See, we don't believe God. We don't take Him at His word. And that's actually the first point that I want us to look at this morning is the joy of a faithful word. There are two presidents that stand out in my mind as men who've made statements that basically we could not take to the bank. Here's the first one. And for those of you a little older, you'll remember this. Read my lips. No new taxes. That was a lie. We got new taxes. Here's another one that I remember very clearly. And I have to preface this by saying at the time that all of this broke, the news broke that he was lying uh, several people were over in New Mexico that are friends of mine, and, 
a, a Congress lady of the great state of, of New Mexico was saying, Bill Clinton is a man of his word. I did not have relationships with that woman. Lie. See, we know what it's like to see people not keep their word, to tell things that aren't true. So you can understand that when someone actually tells the truth, especially if they wear political garb, it's amazing. A king kept his word. A president actually did what he said he would do. A congressperson actually did what they said they were going to do. But we could take it down even further. How many of us as parents have promised our children, I know I have, so don't, don't be bashful, we're going to do this or we're going to do that, and the circumstances of the day or the circumstances of the week just got away from us? And as my son sits up there going, oh yeah, I know those times. <laughs> you see, we sometimes do that. It's not just the president. It's not just Congress people. It's not just judges. It's not just, it's us. And see, when we actually keep our word, when someone tells you, I'll send you that email out, by tomorrow you'll have it. And you wake up in the morning and lo and behold, you pull out your Blackberry or iPhone or whatever utensil you're using these days. You go, there it is. Unbelievable. Woohoo! I'm so thrilled they actually sent the email. That seems like a small thing, you think. But what if that email contains the documentation that you need to be able to go down and sell your home? And you're on a time constraint, and they need to send it to you, and they actually do. Any of you that have ever been in real estate know that lots of times people tell you they're going to send you something, and it's two days, three days, a week. You know, just, I got busy, I couldn't, I couldn't. It is a great joy when someone keeps their word. If you kind of can get that idea, just think about what this text is telling us. Look at what it says. And the Lord visited, that word actually could be translated, and the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said that he would be. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. A kept word honorable. Do you realize that when we read that, it just seems like it's a few short sentences, but you understand how huge those sentences are? God kept his word. Now, an age, as I've already pointed out to us, where someone keeping their word oftentimes doesn't mean much. I mean, we don't really take people at their word anymore, right? I mean, we have prenuptial agreements. We have all kinds of contracts which go on forever. To have someone that kept their word is huge. God kept his word. And Sarah and Abraham bore the beauty of it. The other thing I don't want us to think about, don't, don't want us to lose here, is that God was gracious. See, coming out of chapter 20, what has Abraham done to earn God's favor for him to keep his word? Well, not much. I mean, if this was Janet Jackson, we'd be in big trouble, right? What have you done for me lately? But that's not the kind of God we have. We have a God who says, I'm committed to my word and keeping my word no matter what you're doing. See, if you remember back when we started this series on Abraham, we talked about the fact that God has determined to bless Abraham 
and he cannot be stopped or thwarted. Not even by Abraham himself. God cannot be derailed from his determination to show grace. Now, do you understand the kind of joy that that can bring when God says to you, I will do this or I will do that? The word is as good as kept right now. So think about this. I will come again. I will come again. See, do we live as people who go, He's coming? He's coming? It's just a matter of time, but He's as good as here? See, that's part of the reason why we need to celebrate the incarnation on a regular basis is because part of what it should drive us to see is He came the first time, He's coming the second. See, He keeps His Word. And we need to constantly be reminded of that. And here in this text, what we see is, is that with the birth of Isaac, they sat there and said, God has given us a son just like He said He would. He kept His Word. Now, the second thing I want us to look at then is the joy of fulfilled promises. Now, you might say, well, Dennis, wait a second. You just talked to us about the word. He kept his word. Okay, he fulfilled his promises. Aren't, aren't those the same things? Well, in some ways they are when we're talking about God, but I want us to think about how we process this. Think about this. God can say, I'm going to keep my word and do X, Y, and Z. Cursed will be the ground. This will happen. This will happen. This will happen. But his promises are attached to his grace. His promises are these things He's promised to do for His people. It's not just a statement of fact. It's not just a declaration, this is going to happen. And we know the difference of this too, right? It, it, there's a difference when you ask your kids and you say, hey, I want you to clean up your room, and your kids say, okay, I will, and they clean up their rooms, which you praise the Lord for and say, you know, miracles never cease to occur. The room is actually fully clean. I'm not talking about the, I took all my stuff and shoved it under the bed kind of clean. I'm talking about those times when you walk into your children's room and everything from underneath the bed's been pulled out, everything's been hung up, things in the drawer, dust, vacuumed, I mean the whole tamale. You just almost faint. A 12-year-old cleaned up the entire, I mean, did the whole, could you, could you come do that in our room too? And every once in a while they say, yes, that's even more wild and crazy. But do you understand what happens? Saying I'm going to do something I was told to do, well, that's one kind of thing. That's keeping your word. But a promise on someone who owes you nothing See, do you understand what's happening here when God says He kept His promises? What did God owe Abraham and Sarah? He owed them judgment. He owed them death. He owed them wrath. That's what they deserved. But see, what the promises, when it says there, and He kept His promise to them, what it's reminding us is, is that God as a gracious, loving, compassionate, good, wise, holy, just king, delighted to make promises to people who did not deserve such promises, and he kept them despite their failure to keep their word. Do you see that in this text? Do you see when it says that? That God owed Abraham nothing. He called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. He was a worshiper of the moon. And God made promises to a man he owed nothing to. And he kept them. 
And do you understand when we start to see that God has fulfilled His promises to us, that we cannot help but have joy. There's joy when someone keeps their word. There's joy when someone fulfills their promises, especially when it's a promise they didn't owe us. We realize it's all of grace, all of mercy, all of pure goodness, despite our lack and failing. The third thing that I want us to look at is the joy of an active obedience. And I want you to see what happens here. This is, this is great joy that comes. You realize, see, Abraham's here. He knows who he is. Let's not, let's not be... I mean, he's a human being. We can insert ourselves into this equation. Abimelech and that whole thing has happened. This is all within a year. Remember that. A year earlier, the three visitors had come to visit Abraham and had told him, this time next year, Sarah will have a child. So... It's within that year that Abraham blows it again big time. And so it's not that much time, so it's still kind of smarting, and then along comes Sarah getting pregnant. And she's pregnant. And he knows the child is growing in him, and how would that make you feel if God's keeping His word and keeping His promises, and you kind of start to feel the weight of the reality that you haven't trusted Him. You haven't stayed faithful to Him, even though He is continued by this belly swelling to remind you that he has been faithful, that he has kept his word to you. But we see how Abraham responds to this. He responds by obedience because he sees the grace of God. The grace of God allows him to be free from that guilt, allows him to be free from that shame. And so he responds with obedience. I want you to look at what it says. He named his child whom Sarah bore him Isaac. Now, you remember that what's been going on in this whole episode here is this whole idea of laughter, right? Abraham laughed and said, God, come on. How can an old man like me have a baby? How can Sarah have a baby? We're old. And then we know that Sarah, when the three visitors said that she would have a baby, she stood behind the curtain and laughed. <laughs> what a joke. I'm going to have a baby, right? She laughed, almost mockingly, at these three visitors. And when they confront her and said, you laughed, when the question is asked, why did Sarah laugh? Oh, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. I would never laugh at you. What does the Lord say? Oh, but you did laugh. We heard you. And that's how that episode ends. They leave. And so we see how these things are going on in Abraham and Sarah's life. But what we see here is is that Abraham responds with an active obedience despite, despite himself, but as delighting in the Lord. See how delightful it is when someone does what they're supposed to do. It brings joy. I want you to think about this. When children obey their parents, the scripture tells us, it brings joy to a father's heart. When they disobey, it brings grief to their mother. It is great joy when obedience is seen. And I want us to understand that, see, in this passage, it's not like somehow obedience is just over there and God's being gracious and we're just doing whatever we want to do. No, the point is, we do stupid, sinful, wicked things. And God continues to be gracious. And in His graciousness, as we see that, as we delight in that, as we grow in our joy of that, we see obedience come out of that. Real, true obedience. 
Abraham not only names his son and calls him Isaac, which you got to understand the whole thing about laughing. He names his son to remind him of he and Sarah's laughter. Of really a reminder of almost their unbelief. They're not fully trusting that God would do what he said he was going to do. They name him the laughing boy. To remind them of God's mercy to them. Of his smiling upon them and giving them Isaac. Despite their laughter and they're struggling to believe that God would actually keep his word, that God would actually fulfill his promises. Now that takes some courage. That takes someone who's really understood grace to name their child something that's always going to remind them of their disbelief and of God's faithfulness despite it. That's powerful. That's profound. But it doesn't just stop there. He then goes through and circumcises his son. He gives him that great benefit, that great blessing of the old covenant. Marks him and says, you're God's. You're one of God's people. He marks him. He gives him that blessing through obedience. He obeys the Lord and does what the Lord had commanded him to do. Now, The last thing I want to look at is then these last verses under the, this point, the joy of true restoration. Look at what happens here. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yeah, I have borne him a son in his old age. I want you to understand how amazing it is when someone is restored. This is what you get to see. Sarah is a person that when we look back at chapter 18, what we see in her is a person who did not believe the Lord, who basically laughed and said something like this. Look, listen to what she says back in chapter 18, verse, beginning in verse 11. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of woman of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? What a question. And see, for those of you that are biblically astute in some small way, you start to think, okay, wait a minute. God is a God who's not against pleasure. God is not a God who's against being good. God is not a God who's against loving and delighting in his people and doing that which astounds them and overwhelms them with his goodness. And so do you see what Sarah's sort of saying? She's like saying, God's not really all that good. It kind of reminds us of Eve, right? She's in the garden. God said, of all the trees of the garden, you may eat freely. Eat from them abundantly, all of them. I only hold this one away from you, just, just this one. And you don't even know if the fruit's good or not. All the rest of them, though, eat freely. See, we tend to think of all the trees of the garden you can eat. I want you to think about it. What God actually says to them, of all the trees of the garden, you may eat abundantly with liberty, with freedom. And you see how our minds are prone to limit God's ability to bless us, to give us freedom, to give us the overwhelming reality of His goodness and grace to us. And that's exactly where Sarah is. Shall I have pleasure at my old age? Shall I delight in the way that younger couples operate when I'm old and worn out? I mean, listen to that language. And what's God's answer? The answer to that question is yes. Yes, 
Abraham's old, you're old, by the world standards, you're worn out. But yes, you shall delight. You shall have blood. Do you see that's what we're seeing over here in verse, in chapter 21? Don't you see it? Look at what she's saying. I mean, this is not, this doesn't sound like an old woman who's sitting there knitting with her needles in a rocking chair, rocking. I mean, she's like a giddy teenager. You gotta get that in your mind. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. It's almost like in modern terminology, if you threw a couple of likes in there and, and like God did this and like, you'd have like a, a young college student. That was one of the most amazing things when I got to the campus of the U of A back in 2000 was how many times, in fact, I used to do it in my head. Sorry for all of those who were involved in that ministry. How many times a student would say like to get to the point. The most I ever got to with one student over 10 minutes was a hundred times like was mentioned in 10 minutes. Like this, like, like, and you know, like, 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 like. If you kind of get that into this language, you kind of feel the joy, the exuberance, the abundant, overwhelming happiness that Sarah feels. And you say, well, it's because she had a son, she's old. But it's not just that. And that's what I want you to, get to hear. It's not just that she had a child. You see, again, you got to get back to that whole language of laughter. I laughed at God, and He has made me laugh. Do you understand what restoration is like? See, that's a woman who's experienced restoration. That's a woman who's been set free from sin and guilt and shame. That's a woman who knew I blew it royally with God. I laughed at God. I mean, how could she not get that when Sodom and Gomorrah go up in flames? Fire and brimstone are coming down on it. And she realizes those visitors that were here did that. I mean, this isn't rocket science, people. She understands who she was messing with. I laughed at him. And I'm not dead. And in fact, he kept his word. He kept his promises. He's continued to allow us to do what He's asked us to do and obey Him. And He's restored me. He's made me a woman who's no longer barren and considered a laughingstock of the community. He's made me a woman who's born a child even in my old age. And in my old age, rather than tears of sadness and a life regretted, He's given me in my old age a life that, has been, that I can turn and look and say, well lived, well done. Thank you, God. Do you, do you see the amazingness of what's happening here to this woman? Do you see how in a moment of God's amazing grace in someone's life, it can take a life that was completely trash from all of our standards and turns it into something that the writer in the New Testament can say, like Sarah of old who obeyed her husband. That's how wives ought to be. A transformed woman. A changed woman. A different kind of woman. A woman who laughs. This ought to tell us something about Christianity too, men and women. The more you get to know God, the less you ought to look like this. The more you ought to have a big smile on your face and have joy in your heart. See, Christians ought to be people that, that you, know, you know that sign that says, smile and make, make people wonder what you're up to. See, that's what Christians ought to be. What's up with these people? They're always smiling. There's got to be something going on. The economy's bad. Arizona and Tucson have one of the worst economic situations going on in the entire country. Our housing market is the bottom. Let's celebrate. You see, 
when Christians really understand this, all that is just, well, it's news, and we got to deal with it, and it's interesting, and it's something to talk about, and we have to care about it. We're not indifferent to it. But that's not defining me. I'm not defined by what my house is worth. I'm not defined by what my economic situation is. I'm defined by the fact that God has kept His Word, that He's fulfilled His promises, that He's given me the ability to obey Him despite my own sinful nature, that He actually can turn my shame and my guilt and my sin and turn it around to where I can look at it with a wide open face and say, that is true. I don't laugh because of it. I laugh because of God's willingness to forgive it, to turn it around, to take my tears of sorrow and turn it into tears of joy and gladness. You see, that's what Christmas is all about. Is that a world was lost in darkness. Darkness and sorrow and sin. And God sent an angel to tell a woman, an obscure woman in a village, you are blessed among all women because the angel of the Lord and the Spirit is going to come upon you and you will carry within your womb a very God of very God. Do you begin to get the picture of this? A little woman in a little village, obscure, it's just seven verses, right, here in the Old Testament. It's just a little little girl, a young woman in an obscure village that nobody but Joseph and a few family members probably knew that much about. Within that woman, God will implant His very self to become one of us. Now, if you begin to see these points, I want you to see that this is how Jesus fulfills all of that and really helps us to begin to see how this could be true of us, not just of Abraham and Sarah, true of us. Listen to what the Scriptures tell us. John 1, The Word, the true Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. God kept His Word. He didn't just keep His Word. His Word became one of us. The reality of God's Word is so powerful. It's not like just us making statements. The reality of His Word has substance. It has fingers and toes. The reality of God coming to us, just like that baby Isaac, was a reality. Here it is. God has kept His promises. When we read those first verses of John, we need to see it in the same light. God has kept His Word. In fact, He's kept His Word so much that His Word has come to us. His very Word. In flesh. Second thing I want you to see that God does is He fulfills His promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, All the promises of God are yes and amen. And amen means true. True, true, true. Truly, truly, I say to you, amen, amen. The truth. All God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. To see Jesus is to see the full reality of everything God promises. So when God says, I can make you a new person. When God says, to know Jesus is to be a new creation. When God says, if you're in Christ, you are part of Abraham's offspring. You are one of the true people of God. You can no longer be the same. It's the truth. It's the way it is. See, there's promises that have been made. There's words that have been declared. And the reality of it is seen in Jesus third thing I want us to note, and I want you to turn here because this is so powerful. Turn with me, if you would, 
Just flip a good long way in your Bible back to Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. You get to Romans, turn to Romans chapter 5, and look there at verse 14. I want us to read a few of these verses together. This is what it says. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. You see, that's what happens to Sarah. She's a justified woman. She's a whole new person. But listen on what it says here. It says, For if, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And you see the joy that one experiences when someone obeys for you. You see, that's what was going on with Abraham. Abraham obeyed for who? Isaac. That's what circumcision, we see infant circumcision was all about. Who was obeying for you? It was all the trust is put in God, not on what I think or believe. It's what on God thinks and believes. It's what on God declares. Not what I think, not what I cl claim. Because what I claim is often going to be faulty. What I do is often going to be less than perfect. But what God does is flawless. And that's what you see in Jesus. God in human form, flawless. See, there's joy when someone obeys for you. The last thing is the joy of full restoration. And I want you to think about this in Jesus. You cannot read through the, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John without being astounded at a man who continuously touches people and they're completely healed. Forgives people and their lives are never the same. Stop storms. Cast out demons from demoniacs. I mean, you can't read it and not see what full restoration, at least a small taste of it, starts to look like. People whose lives are transformed. And here's the thing I want to say to you this morning. Too often people in Christianity believe this. They believe that what we're about as Christians and why we find it, and some of you may even be this way, why you find it hard to come to faith in Jesus Christ, really, to put your faith in Jesus, is because you're thinking that Christianity is basically help and empowerment. And that's a big word in our culture. We need to empower people. See, the gospel is something totally different than just merely empowering you. The gospel is about transforming you. It's not about giving you a transfusion so you got better blood so you can operate better. It's not about giving you better bone marrow so you're stronger. It's not about giving you muscle stimulants so you can perform better spiritually and physically. 
What the gospel is about is, is that you need a whole new body. You need a whole new soul. You need to be completely changed because you can't do it. That's the point of this whole passage. Abraham and Sarah could not produce a child. They could not. Do you understand that? Impossible. But God delights to do that which is impossible to the amazement of His people, the glory of His name, and the transformation of the human race to being something they could never, ever make themselves. If you see nothing else through Genesis, from the Tower of Babel to here, don't you see that God is about the business of thwarting our stupid attempts to save ourselves and make ourselves better and somehow make a better world and getting us to see the only hope of the human race, the only hope for my heart, the only hope for my family to have a better life, the only hope is found in the person of Jesus who has obeyed perfectly for me, who has restored me completely, who has kept His Word and kept His promises. I would urge you to put your faith and trust in that Jesus. Because if you do, you will never, ever be the same. Let's pray.